Welcome back to the 9 to 5 Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, resident fitness expert Matt, and I hope you enjoyed the first part of the Dr. Will Cole interview on the topic of inflammation in the body. In part two, we will be discussing some of the ways you can start taking steps towards addressing the inflammation you may have and what are some of Dr. Cole's best strategies for helping reduce the risk of chronic inflammation and the negative health problems associated with it. All right, here's part two of the Dr. Will Cole interview on inflammation in the body. So I would say first is really being honest with yourself about where you're at. And that's why I started the Inflammation Spectrum book with a quiz. And the quiz is adapted from questions that I ask patients. And um, that way they can find out where they're at on the inflammation spectrum from low-grade symptoms to more extreme symptoms. So we go over the main sections of the inflammation spectrum. And the way that I put it in the book is there's seven main sections. There's the gut, the gastrointestinal system, there's the brain there's the brain hormonal axis, you know, the hormone section. There's the blood sugar regulation system. There's a musculoskeletal system. There's the detoxification system. And then there's autoimmunity as a separate entity because it's the immune system turning against the certain parts of the body. And then the eighth section is the interconnectedness of the seven. It's the polyinflammation. So, for example, like uh, inflammation in the gut can cause inflammation in the brain or inflammation in the brain can cause inflammation in the hormonal system. So it's this sort of cascade of inflammation because the body is so brilliantly interconnected that the confluence of these factors can definitely cause polyinflammation. Poly so I would say be sub subjectively honest with yourself and that's why I started the quiz out, the book out with the quiz. The quiz is on drwillcole.com too for people if they want to take the quiz for free. If they don't want the book. Oh, that'd be great. That's yeah, so they don't need the book, but the book has all the like the details of it. So I think to answer your question, I think finding out where you're on the inflammation spectrum, spectrum subjectively, but then objectively run some labs. And these are labs that I run for patients around the world. My day job is consulting patients online via webcam, and we drop ship the labs to them. But you don't need a functional medicine doctor for a lot of these. And the, there's a sidebar in the book where if you want your local doctor to run some of the basic tests, they can definitely do it too. So high sensitivity C-reactive protein, HSCRP is one. In functional medicine, the optimal range for the HSCRP is under one. Uh, homocysteine is an inflammatory marker. We want homocysteine to be under seven. Both of these are, you know, for HSCRP, it's also a surrogate lab for interleukin-6, which is an inflammatory cytokine that's associated with a lot of different health problems that I mentioned earlier. And then homocysteine above seven uh, can, there's evidence to point that it can, uh, it's linked as a neurotoxin and basically can contribute to blood-brain barrier permeability or what they call leaky brain syndrome, which is an unfortunate term. But I mean, basically people with leaky gut syndrome can cause increased blood-brain barrier permeability, uh, which is associated with neurodegenerative issues, those mental health issues that I mentioned, autoimmune uh, brain issues like MS and Alzheimer's and things like this. So that's uh, one biomarker. And ferritin, which is a biomarker to gauge for stored iron, but it's also considered an acute phase reactant. So basically in states of inflammation, you can see ferritin spike high too. So those are some basic tests. Like those HSCRP, homocysteine, and ferritin are really basic tests that anybody's PCP or GP could run. Um, then there's more expansive testing that I run in functional medicine to get a little bit more detailed than that. And we're looking at things like gut centric inflammation, like, um, running biomarkers like calprotectin, lactoferrin, lysozyme. These are looking at, is the gut a driver of the inflammation, which when you're dealing 
with chronic inflammatory problems, remember, inflammation is a product of the immune system. So to understand inflammation many times, you have to understand we're look at, at looking at where the predominance of the immune system resides, which is in the gut, in your gastrointestinal system. So these are some stool tests and blood tests that we run to look at those. And then looking at intestinal permeability or leaky gut syndrome, food sensitivities, and then things, other things that can drive inflammation too, like chronic infections, like viral issues, mold issues, bacterial overgrowth, bacterial infections, um, and all of this stuff. And then looking at genetics too, because some people just genetically are more prone to inflammation, higher inflammation, and more prone to food sensitivities and these chemical sensitivities or mold sensitivities. Uh, so looking at methylation gene SNPs like MTHFR and many other ones, looking at the endocannabinoid system, the ECS, which people with these lower variants to the endocannabinoid uh, are more prone to these food sensitivities, things like lectin sensitivities, and detoxification gene SNPs too. So there's a lot of things, both genetics and epigenetics, both DNA and our environment that can really help one to understand what their specific work plan, like what their specific plan should look like. And then it's from there, you have your baseline and you can lean into these findings and figure out the most appropriate steps for you. I would completely agree. Somebody who is interested in kind of making progress toward helping with their inflammatory responses should definitely go get those labs and really figure out what's actually going on uh, internally as best they can. So let's say after that, you know, I always like to paint a picture of what something might look like for people that I, that I work with or that I communicate to on, you know, if they have a question on inflammation and I say, okay, well, you know, see if you can recognize these symptoms. Okay, well then if you recognize those, but we still want to make sure that we're absolutely certain what's going on internally, go get those labs done. And then after that, let's say they you know, get those labs done, they, they consult with you. What big picture, kind of what does it look like for somebody that is either dealing with this from you know, a chronic level, maybe they're just concerned about their symptoms, and they're not happy with how they feel, and they want to feel better, they want to be more productive. What does the lifestyle change look like after they've run those labs, they've set up a game plan um, you know, what, how much energy and attention are they going to have to start focusing on when it comes to either, let's say, changing their diet, um, adding supplementation strategies, you know, increasing their healthy activity? What does that generally look like from, you know, a long-term uh, program plan with people that you work with or just from your experience, how much they're going to have to now shift their attention from what they were doing to this new kind of inflammatory fighting lifestyle. For people that, and I broke it down in a few different ways in the book. Um, obviously, when I'm consulting patients, it's a lot more nuanced. In, like You can't encapsulate every variable <laughs> in a book. But I, I did allow the reader to, to sort of choose their own wellness adventure in a way based on that quiz result. So there's definitely a few different tracks based on that quiz result. But w when you're dealing with somebody in a clinical setting, it's a lot easier to kind of look at all the data, look at the health history, understand that person in their real life, uh, and use real life as a lab and a, a objective marker too, to kind of see like, how do we use lifestyle medicine, functional medicine f changes in their life to uh, affect change on those labs. But with that said, with the book, I think what I wanted to do is, based on that quiz score, 
Um, for people that scored lower, they have a simpler plan to lower inflammation. Because remember, every food we eat either feeds inflammation or fights it. There's no Switzerland meal. There's no benign food that's doing nothing for your biochemistry. It's modulating the, your biochemistry in some ways. Some negligibly, certainly, but most of the foods that people eat today, there's enough feedback that you're going to see. Does my body love this or does my body not love this? But you have to calm things down before you can have the clarity and the awareness of if this is serving you or sabotaging you. So uh, the what I call the core four are the four foods that research points to be the most likely to be problematic in most people. Again, not a problem for everybody. Um, but I want to find out what your body loves and what your body hates. Uh, and the only way we know is we, if we go off of it for a while and then we slowly reintroduce it. So in clinical nutrition and functional medicine, the gold standard for food sensitivities and food reactivities are still is still a well-formulated, thoughtful elimination diet. So the core four is a simple elimination protocol where we go off of grains, added sugar, high omega-6 oils like canola oil and vegetable oil, and dairy. Again, there are better versions of those. We have the conversation in the book. I'm not making blanket statements about those. But I want the reader to really do a, an experiment for themselves to find out what their body loves. And you may find out, hey, I do fine on three of those foods, but I'm, I don't feel good on one. Or I'm bad with all four of those. So you're going to be able to get that feedback based on you. And well, just because something's right for you doesn't necessarily mean it's not it's right for, you know, it's it's the same for somebody else. That's bioindividuality. That's the heart of functional medicine and what I do. Uh, so that's the core four. And then there's a more advanced food track for people that scored higher on that inflammation spectrum quiz in the book. That's the core four plus four more or what I call a limit eight, like the number eight. So that's the core four plus nightshades, which are peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, goji berries, white potatoes. Those are plant groups that have higher alkaloids that can be reactive for some people. Then we have nuts and seeds, and, and then we have legumes like beans, and then we have eggs. Again, all whole foods, nothing inherently bad about those, but the proteins in some of those foods the sugars in some of those foods can be a problem for some people. So this is about finding out what your body loves and not making broad sweeping statements about demonizing any one of those foods. Because I like, for example, I do great with night. I do fine with nightshades. Like I love ketchup. I love legumes. I do fine with peanuts. I love peanut butter. But uh, some people have problems with nightshades. Some people have problems with peanut butter. So I want to find out what's right for you. Um, so that's the food component in the book. And they can do a, a, this thoughtful elimination diet approach that's based in functional medicine research and approaches. And then there's all the non-food stuff because it's not just about food. So you could be eating the best food under the sun, but if you're you know, serving your body a big slice of stress every day or if you're you know, constantly inundating yourself with FOMO-inducing content on social media or you're exposed to the blue <laughs> light at 11 p.m. at night, that's counteracting. That's raising inflammation levels too. It's not just about what you're feeding your body. It is what you're feeding your soul, it's what you're feeding your mind, it's what you're feeding your emotions. All that stuff is influencing biochemistry as well. So that's sort of the bi-directional relationship between health. It's our physiology impacts our thoughts and emotions, but then our thoughts and emotions impacts our physiology. Uh, so it's not just about food. So we have what's called what are called the non-food inflamers in the books too. And that that's what we're looking at when it comes to stress and sleep and toxins and social isolation and community and 
you know, uh, the technology and blue light, all of that stuff, because all of that's important and all of that's influenced our biochemistry in some way. Yeah, that, that's great. And I think people need to know um, about some of those things that could be influencing their inflammation in a negative way. What role does exercise play on all this from from a from a professional standpoint for me i know i work a lot with inflammation but it, again it's acute muscular inflammation so i know how that resolves and i know that that's part of the building process um, so just like kind of like what you said in terms of the spectrum where you know inflammation can be a good signaler of what things should be focused on and not letting things go too far just like you know when you have acute muscle soreness obviously that's a sign that you should probably not push it too much because if you do then you have muscle damage what role does exercise play in this uh, big picture umbrella you know kind of lifestyle change with inflammation because i know there's obviously a lot of benefits to to physical exercise and you mentioned some of them including weight loss and you know gaining some muscular strength but i think a lot of people can see some limitations in their progress with their exercise programs if they are having these inflammatory responses like you said if they're having trouble losing weight should that i'm well it kind of answers our own question there uh if somebody's not making progress and they're they're They've put together a good exercise program and they're putting forth the effort, but then they're not seeing change. Quite possibly this could be because of the inflammatory responses that are limiting their progress. So I do want to touch on the exercise part just in general. What role does exercise play in fighting inflammation uh, and reducing it? And then what are some of those things that people should be a little bit more wary of when it comes to exercise too much? or maybe not noticing the progress they were expecting from a good exercise program. You know, and, uh, exercise, physical activity is definitely talked about. I talk about it in the book because even exercise, what works for one person may not be right for the next person. So bioindividuality still applies there. And, you know, there's, for example, if somebody is going through HPA axis issues like adrenal fatigue or burnout or something like that, where your cortisol rhythm's all off and they're not handling stress very well, I mean, the theory of exercise, you know, more than most people, obviously, you're the expert in this field, but it's to break down muscle to build it up stronger. And it's there's added stress on the body. It's hormesis. It's, it's, it's part of the benefits of exercise. But some people their body's already stressed out. So it's like stressing out an already stressed out system that are breaking mm -hmm. down muscle but not building it back up. So it's not to say those people shouldn't be doing exercise. It's just maybe they're doing too much too soon for what their body's ready for and they need to be doing something more gentle, more restorative, more like acts of like things like yoga or Tai Chi or like walking or getting out in nature or like moving your body but just doing it gent more gently. And more isn't always better when you're coming in with this baseline that's maybe not the strongest so it's all about and this is somewhere you know someone like you can come into is really customizing that approach and uh leaning into these things instead of like going guns blazing like when it's like eh, maybe it's too much for you at this point that's also bioindividuality. so i think it's exercise is important it's definitely a part of the inflammation spectrum book it's part of my clinic but one size does not fit all for sure um and you want exercise to be serving your overall wellness that's why you're doing it um but more isn't always better and it's definitely about finding that sweet spot where you're seeing benefits of it it's it's you are progressing you are improving um you are building but you're not like a lot of times when people 
are like maybe they are uh, going through an autoimmune issue or they have like these hormonal problems. The way that I hear it a lot over the years is that, oh, I really pay for it the day after I work out. Like that probably is too much exercise for where you're at right now. Like a soreness is one thing. Like obviously soreness is a good thing. It can be a sign of growth. But if you're really like bedridden the next day or if you are like have a flare up in any way the day after your fatigue is like through the roof after the next day, probably too much. Uh, that, that would be my thoughts on the on this topic. I agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm in line with that as well, especially with a personalized approach because there are definitely benefits of exercise. But it all depends on you know what your body can handle, what it what it's you know what state it's in, and uh, you know what's going to be the most beneficial for each individual person. Awesome! This has been great information. I think people are going to be very intrigued about the topic of inflammation. Um, we of course will make sure that uh, we provide all that information so people can find you on your website, um, get your book. I mean, you, you painted a really good picture about uh, what's in that book and how to use it and how it can be used effectively uh, and pretty simply, I guess, um, as well. Um, could you kind of summarize, I guess, what we've talked to over the last 30 minutes and just kind of give us uh, and our listeners three kind of like of your, you know, top takeaways about the topic of inflammation. Um, or if you want to veer off and go you know, in another direction off of inflammation, um, just kind of give us maybe your three nuggets of wisdom or something like that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, I have a lot of nuggets of wisdom. I talk about this <laughs> stuff too much. Someone needs to stop me. But the, uh, here are three things you can start doing today to start to calm inflammation. Number one, decrease the amount of sugar you're having in your life. Uh, that's added sugar, things that turn into sugar, aka carbs and grains, uh, <laughs> or even to excess fruits. Like nothing wrong with fruits. I love fruits, but uh, excess amount of things that turn into sugar can be an overload for somebody with inflammation. So decrease the amount of added sugar, increase healthy fats. So things like avocados, olives, avocado oil, olive oil. Soaked nuts and seeds, meaning soaking them in water to make them more digestible, less irritable to the GI system. Wild-caught fish, focus more on those. And with vegetables, eat lots of them, but cook them. Having them soft-cooked you know, in soups and stews or just steamed or sautéed in some way because a lot of people are – their guts are so unhealthy, they're not even digesting salads. They're getting bloated and having pain from salads. If you're oh, wow. if you're paying for it when you eat a salad, we have a problem. It's not the salad's yeah. fault. It's your GI system. So cook it down. Give your gut a little bit break. Break it down for your gut before you eat it by cooking it and having it soft and things like this. Uh, yes, it decreases the amount of nutrition, but the nutrition that's left will be more usable. Uh, so you actually have a way benefit, better benefit of it. You're going to be utilizing the nutrients more effectively, and you're not going to pay for it afterwards because it's a little bit more digestible. So those are three things people can do right now to lower inflammation. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I, I knew about the whole, you know, uh, you know, getting the vegetables a little bit softer, uh, but that was a good point in terms of it's a strategy to help by inflammation because it might, yeah. might be a little bit too intense for your stomach to handle if you're eating all of that raw leafy uh, greens. So yeah, <laughs> that's good. I like yeah. that one. I'm going to start. I'm going to start doing that a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Dr. Will, thank you so much again. This has been great. Um, I'm sure our listeners are going to really appreciate it. And we'll make sure that they get all of your um, contact information so they can follow you more and check out all the cool information you're working on. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. 
Thank you for joining the 9 to 5 Fitness Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and learned something useful to help you on your journey to a healthy lifestyle. If you want to learn more about this topic and other useful fitness tips, check out our show notes or visit us at sunnyhealthfitness.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, YouTube, and TikTok. We'll see you next week.